the just because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. You don't need a reason when the one and only hot and melty sausage McMuffin with egg is just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to The Nature Connection, Science, Wildlife, and Environment Radio, with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy. Hey everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio's Nature Connection show. Um, 2019, in the summer of 2019, uh, Nancy and I, our Love Your Park store, you know, we travel full-time across the country documenting parks, public lands, and connecting them with their communities. So we're getting the stories of the communities. Basically, we cover anything that is good about quality of life. So wildlife, nature, science, the environment is all part of it. We document it all in our two different publications. We've got Big Blend Radio and TV Magazine and Parks and Travel Magazine. You can see them both. Just go to bigblendmagazines.com. But in summer of 2019, we went to Greeley and Weld County. And um, this is all up in the northeast uh, corner of Colorado. It is beautiful. It's got high prairies. Um, you've got the Pawnee Grasslands, uh, National Grassland out there. Uh, Rocky Mountain National Park is not so far away. It is beautiful. There's a lot of history. But one of the places we actually, one of the main reasons we went uh, was to visit the Wild Animal Sanctuary. And the Wild Animal Sanctuary is a true sanctuary. It is not a zoo. This is a place where they rescue wildlife and other and They've got all kinds of animals in there. Um, and let them live their life out. It's their forever home. And um, it's really neat because when you go, you walk up on the skywalk. So you're not getting in the way of the animals with their lives. Right, Nancy? That was a, I've never, we've never experienced that. And I so appreciate that because you and I have been to zoos where you are directly at eye level with some animals. I remember a macaque throwing itself at a glass because it was on your eye level when you were a child and it slammed mm-hmm. into the glass barrier between us. I'm like, no, this, there's something wrong with this. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. and it scared you, but it scared me because I thought, man, this monkey's coming through, and it's it's mad. Well, and this, this, but it, you know, so I mean, I think it is so smart to be way out of eyesight of the animals. I really mm-hmm. do. And and they get to play and do what they want to do in their habitats. Mm-hmm. The way they've created them there it's is awesome. really unique. They they have over 500 rescued large carnivores. Over 200 bears, 70 African lions, 70 tigers. They also have some local wildlife as well. And these animals are rescued from all walks of life of things happening, including Mm -hmm. hurricanes and natural disasters. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also building the refuge, but um, we don't want to talk anymore because we've got special guests coming on this show. See, the Wild Animal Sanctuary is celebrating 40 years, its 40-year anniversary. And uh, two of the sanctuary volunteers and authors, Melanie and Mark Schellenbarger, are joining us to talk about their book they released. It's called Forever Wild, Forever Home, 
the story of the wild animal sanctuary of Colorado. And it's you can get on go to the website wildanimalsanctuary.org. You can get it there through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, all those places. And I do say go. You can get a paperback, ebook. Ask your independent bookstore to get it too. That's always really cool to support them. Uh, so we have Mark and Melanie joining us, and we also have Kent. Kent is the director of public relations, and he was our tour guide at Kent Dorsar. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent a couple of hours with us, taking us on the skywalk and introducing us to all the different animals, not personally, like we didn't get in the cages or any of that stuff. Uh, he took us around <laughs> and shared the stories. And um, our hearts were right there, and we hope this is just the beginning of what we can do to let you know more about this amazing sanctuary. So I want to give a shout-out to Kent. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, Lisa, Nancy. It's great to talk to you. Um, I remember well your visit um, in the summer of 2019 and showing you the wild animal sanctuary and letting you know the kind of work we do and seeing some of our incredible animals that we rescue here. So it's great that you're here, and I'm glad we're here to talk to Mark and Melanie Schellenbarger, um, two wonderful volunteers who took on a huge project and have done a great job with it, and that's to write a book about um, the first 40 years of the wild animal sanctuary. So it's great to be here today. It's amazing, and you started as a volunteer there, right? That was, I remember that the first thing you're like, well, I was a volunteer, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. now I'm here every day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty common. We, we have a lot of employees um, that were former volunteers, and it just makes a good transition. I volunteered here once or twice a week for about five years before I started mm-hmm. working here now seven years ago. So it's been a few more, a few years have been adding up here. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. Uh, let's awesome. bring Mark. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing well, thank you. Oh, this is awesome to have you. And then uh, Melanie, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having us on. This has been such an exciting project for us, and um, to to be able to talk about it and to have Kent here, who gave us our first ever personal tour at the sanctuary, is really exciting. Mm. He's good at them. He's yeah, good. He like, is. He is. very. Yeah, He's like, he is. He's Yay. a good tour guide. I know. I know. It's, you know, we got to even have lunch with him afterwards. That sanctuary is like, I think, you know, you get this experience um, where you really start to understand what these animals went through. Mm-hmm. You get to see animals, which we all want to do. We just don't want it to be in a zoo format. And then the education is amazing. And, and they have a really good place to have lunch. I'm just going to say <laughs> it was a great lunch. <laughs> I'm just sure. Yeah. Yeah, really, you... really good French fries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and that's, um, pizza? I'll talk salad. a little bit about our Lions Den. Yeah, our Lions Den Cafe is where uh, Melanie and Mark first met Pat as well to address the mm-hmm. idea of this book. So um, there mm-hmm. is a food connection there. And I don't know if Mark got um, French fries that day or not, but um, that's where they first met Pat and all the dogs and just kind of broached the idea of writing a book. Yeah, listen, That's Melanie, right. what's up with the dogs? Pat Craig, again, yeah. uh, everyone is the founder and executive director. His his story is amazing because he started this at a very young age. I remember with Kent, when we were mm-hmm. going around with you, we were like, well, we could do this story, this angle, 20,000 angles. So I'm glad you guys wrote a book because um, we were on our way to do it. So <laughs> and we're traveling. So I'm glad you guys <laughs> did this. But, Melody, did you meet the wolfhounds? <laughs> you and Mark, we did. We met the wolfhounds, cool. the wolfhounds, the Commodore, the little Maltese named Marcel, mm-hmm. a little Yorkie named Little Bit. But <laughs> when we first met Pat and Kent, as uh, Kent said, we, were, we went, met them at the Lion's Den Cafe, and we uh, went in there with Kent first. And then we're in for a few minutes just chatting, and here comes this entourage. 
and it's Pat. And then behind him are five wolfhounds, uh, Butchie, an English bulldog. And I don't think Emma the Commodore was there that day. And they come in, and as we say in the book, we're surrounded by a 1,000 pounds of pooches. And we are absolute dog lovers, and the bigger the better. So we were in our glory. And it was just such an amazing encounter because we'd been to the sanctuary a bunch of times before, and we, you know, of course, seen all the wild animals. At one point, we'd seen some wolfhounds, and we went, "Wow, that's really strange." So mm-hmm. we didn't, we didn't understand the connection between Pat and his dog. And then, mm-hmm. as we got into the story, as we began to volunteer and and get out to the sanctuary on a regular basis, you just begin to realize that wherever Pat goes, so go the dogs. Mm-hmm. They are always with him, and it's just, uh, it's just a wonderful thing. It's I part love of the pack. Yeah, you know, we travel, we, we, you know, pet sit and play with dogs all the time because we miss having animals. That's our thing. As soon as, you know, our last animal that we had uh, pa- passed away, then we're like, okay, well, what's the point of being home now? So, yeah. <laughs> so that was how we are. But I think it's such a great thing because it shows um, domestic and the wild animals that are at the sanctuary because I think things like Tiger King, which Nancy and I have not watched, and I don't think we could ever – I think we probably <laughs> – throw things at the TV. Yeah. I don't know what would happen. But this whole thing about owning wildlife, mm-hmm. um, Nancy, has had an, her background comes from uh, Joy Adamson, working mm-hmm. with her out in the bush. Oh. Uh, Joy Adamson mm-hmm. from Born Free, also the lion, um, and sure. also helping animals that um, were used in movies that were not good. Now we don't yes. need to use wild animals in movies, I'm just or dogs, actually. Just stop it. Um, <laughs> but I think this is an interesting thing where Pat, you know, I loved it at the beginning of the book because you make a point of this um, about the dogs, because I think there's something important that we need to understand that um, we just, I don't just stop trapping animals. Like another, there's this sensationalism that comes with owning a tiger or something, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That happens. Um, And so, yeah, what you guys have done in the book has really, it's like all animals matter, right? When we look at it, yeah, they all matter. No, absolutely, absolutely, they all matter, and everyone is treated as an individual. And the animal care staff is amazing in the way they're able to analyze and uh, recognize what the different needs of the different animals are. It's it's just fascinating to see. Yeah, no. yeah. I, I, I grew up in Hollywood, and I have to say. Um, what I saw, what was happening in the movie industry with animals was, it's and still is, is just absolutely disgusting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like they use the animal for a movie, and then there's an ego thing to it, keeping the wild animal and driving around in taxis with them and all kinds of really stupid things like that. It And it just really, it's appalling. And mm. My job uh, working for this agency was to go rescue, like one, I won't use names here, but a really famous writer for a TV series 20 years ago, was he was standing on top of the dresser drawer, and I had to come into the house and rescue him from a three-month-old lion cub. I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, and the lion cub was fine. Yeah, I put the leash on him and took him to the car. But, you know, and the guy was all freaked out. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why? Mm. What? You know, mm. and I've seen so many situations. I've rescued reindeers from the desert, locked in a 
stupid cage with no water or food and manure up to their hawks. And it's just, you know, I understand people love animals, but, you know, owning an animal, a wild animal, is not the same as as looking at them in the wild, and it is not the same as having a dog. And that's the thing I think you get when you go through this sanctuary. We we start to understand about animals in circuses, animals being Mm -hmm. used in so many different ways. There's the movies. There's the tourism industry that is, you know, there's the the wild animal trafficking, from what I understand, is right there with human trafficking and drug trafficking Mm -hmm. of what's going on. And um, you learn so much there. Um, Kent, uh, let's dig into this a little bit with Pat. And can you kind of give everyone a little bit of an uh, feel for Pat, who he, who he is and what led him, because he, he really got into this at a very young age, and it, this is somebody who stuck to a commitment as a, probably one of the most inspiring individuals. He should get a prize, man, like one of those peace prize things, you know? <laughs> Seriously. No, I would agree. Um, the right we, people getting them. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true, um, and, and we'll just leave it at that. So, yes. um, yeah, we're at 41 years. January of 1980 mm. is when he rescued his first animal, and you talk, oh. you hear all about um, freckles in the book there. But mm-hmm. just a, a quick thumb sketch on how Pat got started. He was in his first year of college, and he got a tour in North Carolina at a zoo where a friend worked. And the friend was just a groundskeeper, but it still allowed him to get an, a behind-the-scenes tour. And Pat and his friend, they went back behind the scenes and saw – I think six or seven tigers in small cages. They had two or three display tigers like you normally expect at a zoo. And he asked the natural question of, well, what are these animals doing here? And they said, well, these are extra tigers. They were born here in the nursery, and, uh, but we don't have room for them. So the next mm-hmm. logical question is, well, do they ever get to go out where there's more room? And, well, normally they don't because it's hard to move animals like this, and people know the display mm-hmm. animals. So the next logical question is, well, what's going to happen to them? Mm-hmm. And he was told at the time, and this would have been probably in about 1979 or so, mm-hmm. um, and most of us on this radio show, at least that are talking right now, can mm-hmm. relate to that. Um, yeah. He was just told, well, we try to find homes for him at other zoos, but most zoos have the same problem, so there's a good chance they'll be euthanized. And that just you know, obviously didn't sit well with Pat. So we came back to Colorado, went to the Denver Zoo, which is a reputable zoo, and, and asked about their big cat tiger situation, and we were told, and he was told the exact same thing pretty much. Oh, we have six or seven tigers, you know, that aren't on display. We have our two or three display tigers. Mm-hmm. And so he asked, well, does it, is there any kind of organization or what's going to happen to these animals? Because bringing them into the world, because they were brought into the nursery, because baby cubs attract people and people bring money. But mm-hmm. knowing that they would, there's a good chance they would be euthanized just didn't sit well with him, obviously. And so we asked the question, you know, is there any organization that helps animals like this? And back in, you know, the late 70s, we were hardly out of the era of dog pounds. Um, So the whole Mm -hmm. idea of sanctuaries, rescues, adoption organizations was just really not catching on yet. Um, And so he Mm -hmm. was told, no, there's nothing. And so he, um, you know, eventually just decided, well, no one's doing anything about this problem, so I'm going to do something. And so he actually got licensed by the state of Colorado and the USDA was the youngest person ever licensed as a zoological facility. Fortunately, his parents had a little 15 acre farm outside of Boulder, Colorado, and he was able to get all the cages and everything necessary to start rescuing animals. And once he started um, in January of 19- The just because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. 
There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. You don't need a reason when the one and only hot and melty sausage McMuffin with egg is just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Hey, what's up? It's Alex Morgan. And for me, the start of the new year is all about committing to you from day one. Body Armor's got you and here to help you commit to your fitness goals. Buy any Body Armor products at your local store and Body Armor will give you 50% cash back to put towards your fitness journey. Now through March 31st, commit to fit with Body Armor Sports Drink. Visit www.bacommittofit.com for full rules and shop now at retailers nationwide. 1980 with Freckles the Jaguar, um, it's just grown ever since and now we're the largest oldest sanctuary in the world that's dedicated rescuing large carnivores um, bar wow it's a, and, but you have other you have other animals there and you have prairie dogs i'm just gonna say <laughs> sorry <laughs> always forget that um people that aren't around you know where there's prairie dogs there's <laughs> you know really this attraction to them because first of all you hear the word dogs and they make that stand up and they bark and they're cute little they're rodents cute. and things but yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just have them as a matter of course out here, and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, prairie dogs. I forget about them because they're part of the, the air like the mm. cottontail rabbits. So. And ranchers yeah, hate them. I love them. I just I think I they're cute, cute, but I'm in, I you know to me they're they're like giant squirrels, but they're not like meerkats in a weird way. Melanie, how did you and Mark get connected with the wild animal sanctuary? Well, it's that's so funny because um, it was just. One April morning, um, a couple of years after we retired, and we were kind of figuring out what we wanted to do. And I said, you know, there's this wild animal sanctuary that I've always wanted to go to, and we never, and we've never gone. Mark traveled all over the globe while before he retired, and so to have him home to do mm-hmm. things like that on the weekend was um, that happened very uh, infrequently. So. We went out there one April morning, and we knew from that very first visit what an incredibly special place it was. Mm-hmm. And yeah. mm-hmm. we kept going back with family and bringing friends, and the reactions were the same. And then we kept going back more and more often, and we thought, you know, we really should start volunteering here. So we were getting ready to do that. And then I woke up in the middle of the night in January of 2019, and I said, we need to write a book about this. Yes. And Mark, when I, and when I told Mark, God bless him, he said, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't totally out of left field. We were both retired. I had been um, on the faculty at the Department of Architecture at the University of Colorado, and I'd written a, a book on Colorado's early summer homes. And Mark was cool. um, a business executive who was well-versed in project management, so I knew he could keep us on course. And so we started researching this captive wildlife crisis. And mm-hmm. that, that fine April morning when we went out to the sanctuary was the very first time we had ever heard those words. And mm-hmm. we, just, uh, we just became immersed in it for the two years oh. that we researched and wrote the book. Um, so as, as we said at the beginning, we wrote this book proposal. We sent it to Pat and to Kent. And they arranged this meeting, and um, Pat took a chance on us. I mean, we weren't journalists. We weren't zoologists. We weren't large carnivore experts. We were just a couple of people who wanted to tell a story 
that's never been told about a place that's like nowhere else. Oh, and but we're you... so grateful. Oh, we're so grateful that he did. Um, yeah. It's just an experience of a lifetime. But uh, Mark, what would you add to that um, about the, the book and the process? Well, one thing I I learned from this because she wrote the she wrote the first book, and I was involved in editing and um, doing a lot of um, suggestions and working on the bibliography and things like that. But I wasn't really involved day to day in the book. Hmm. In this book, I was involved from day one in the research. Melanie did most of the writing. I did a lot of editing. I did a lot of work with the photos. I mm. did a lot of the work to arrange for the publishing firms, things like that. And if anybody tells you that writing a book is easy, I would suggest mm-hmm. that they've ne- they've never <laughs> written a book. Yeah. Um, None. Not this magnitude. Yeah, but, this um, is a big book. It, I mean, this is this is a yeah. big project. What you did, I just I want to say uh, just to backtrack here, uh, Melanie's book High Country Summers: The Early Second Homes of Colorado, 1880 to 1940, number one. I'd like to read. It was an award-winning book uh, published by the University of Arizona Press. We love them, by the way. Um, they're, mm-hmm. they're amazing. Mm-hmm. I love university presses. I think they're some of the best. But um, I just want to say this book, Forever Wild, Forever Home. Mm-hmm. is a full color thing. I mean this is this is a beautiful book that tells stories that and when you talk about say it. the photos say it and you really mm-hmm. explain um the situations but you're you're amazing storytellers with what you've done for the animals and what for Pat, for the volunteers, everybody that's involved in this huge operation that's doing amazing, amazing work. But it's also you're showing, like, just even what creating a habitat is, you know, um, the stories of how to even rescue and mm-hmm. all the red tape that goes in it. And trying to – it's it, – it, your heart is with every word on the pages and every image. I mean, the heart is there. Um, it's it's an amazing project. And then, Mark, you were saying you're dealing with the publishing and all that aspect, and that's like a whole other project. Like and now, even doing radio interviews and doing all that stuff, like now it's like a whole other book project. <laughs> it's hard, <laughs> and we just take our hats well, off once, you. Out. Yeah, and once once you get the book out, they don't they don't sell themselves. You have to do a lot of mm-hmm. marketing work, a yeah. lot of contact work, and we are very grateful to have been um, asked to be with you today because this is just part of the activities that we're going through mm-hmm. to try and increase interest in the book because uh, as it says on the back cover we are donating the majority of the proceeds back to the sanctuary so if you buy if you buy a book it benefits the animals that's awesome that's That's awesome awesome. cool melanie when you first started going there and obviously you get that you know the middle of the night thing i know how that is it's either going to be like, it's like the the brain cramp, right? Like, oh, that's it. Everybody turned the lights on. Everyone's like, what's going on? Is there someone robbing the house? No, no. Something's <laughs> robbing my brain. It's not a cramp. <laughs> you know, this is a real deal. Um, but where, was it the stories of the animals and their resilience? Because these animals are resilient to even, think about all of the international uh, this is you know, the the healthy trafficking of bringing them to the sanctuary, right? And then the 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 situations these animals have gone through, it is such a 
huge ordeal to even get them to the sanctuary, get them to be comfortable, trust, and then the health care and all of that. Was it their stories that you were like, you know what, just that when you see their, I mean, the bears, when they were playing in the in the ponds and the pools and the water mm-hmm. fountains and all of that, and there's garden gnomes all through the sanctuary, by the way. <laughs> I just remembered that as we were talking. Those garden gnomes, Kent, were fun. But um, those animals are... <laughs> They don't care about you because we're all walking up at the top as, as visitors, mm-hmm. right? So they don't care. Like, you know, Kent said, right. you know, we don't care about the airplanes going over if they're quiet-ish, you know. Um, they they look at us like that. If they are interested, they'll, you know, look at us and say hi kind of thing, but not, you know, not, not in a circus way. Um, but was it that experience of seeing an animal actually kind of relax for you? It was. The very first time we went there, um, and it was just a gorgeous Colorado April morning, and you walk up, the, the Welcome Center is enormous, and you walk through the Welcome Center past the gift shop and the, the ice cream shop and the Lion's Den Cafe, and you go up this huge, huge broad stair, stairway up onto the second floor, and then you go out on a deck, and you can just see prairie to the horizon, and all these enormous animal habitats. And it just takes your breath away. And then as mm. you walk down the walkway, and the walkway is one of the most brilliant things that I think has ever been conceived mm-hmm. in animal-human interaction because it doesn't encourage animal-human interaction in this case. Yeah. Um, mm. And you begin to see, you know, there's a leopard in the grass and a jaguar and the uh, sort of jungle gym over here and this pride of lions uh, laying under this shade canopy, you go through the lion house. Um, and, I mean, it it is such a remarkable experience. But I have to tell you, the the more we learned about the sanctuary, and there's so much that we learned. Um, it was not only the rescue operations, which you know tend to sound the most daring, maybe even. Glamorous. I think there should be a movie series uh, you know, on you it, go like a TV Netflix. The, all over. <laughs> there needs to they be should good. cover the rescues. Exactly, mm-hmm. it's More like remarkable. MacGyver, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, they go all over the world. A uh, hundred of the animals that live there now have been rescued from other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, it's it's not just the rescues; it's what happens when they come back to the sanctuary. And the rehabilitation process and taking care of medical problems and physical infirmities and then making sure that, you know, they heal psychologically. Mm. There are lions there that have never seen another lion. There are, that mm-hmm. you know, learn how yeah. to roar once they get to the sanctuary. Oh. Uh, there are animals there that have never stepped on grass before because mm-hmm. they've been living on concrete their whole life. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's the rehabilitation and then... Um, learning about the staff and what the staff does and the volunteers to take care of these animals. I mean, it is the most, the the energy that the place has that's powered by the altruism and the, Mm. and the, um, the gratitude of the animal caregivers, the volunteers, the staff, Uh, we've never seen anything like it. It's, It's remarkable. It, you know, the whole thing is because I don't know that people, I, you know, I, I think we're all attracted to seeing animals. And so we think it's good to take your kid to the zoo. 
And um, there's zoos and then there's zoos. And zoos have come a long way, some of them. Some of them need to go away. But I, as a wildlife artist, I spent a lot of years in the L.A. Zoo. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I saw more than I should have seen. I, I got to go behind the scenes. I saw things I didn't want to see. I saw one exhibit where this poor little gibbon was sitting on a wooden pole, and there's a python on the cement floor. And I was oh. saying to the zookeeper, this, this monkey's traumatized. This is wrong. It's, oh, well, it's active for the viewers. Mm. I was so insane. I was insane about it because I thought that is probably the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And it made me look at the zoo as this should be closed. This well, is that's wrong. A, that, and that really that goes was, to the point of the, the zoo versus a sanctuary. And then what is a, an yeah. accredited sanctuary? And that's something I wanted to ask Kent. Um, yeah, I mean, so this it taught I mean, me to go look at animals in the wild. If you want to go see tigers, go to India. If you want to go see lions, go to Africa. Go on a safari in the, the wild. On the wild, yes. Or go to the sanctuary, but don't the zoo thing? Mm. Mm. Can, can, can you give us the differences? Yeah, so, um, you know, people very often ask us, you know, what do we think of zoos, and they try to compare us, and, and I think people want the very short, quick answer, you know, zoos bad, sanctuary good, mm-hmm. um, and obviously, I don't think it's, nothing in our world is quite that simple, because, well, zoos have a different mission in life, um, reputable zoos, accredited zoos, you know, their their job um, like for the AZA zoos, which is Association for Zoos and Aquariums, they have the SSP, Species Survival Program. And so they mm-hmm. participate in um, wildlife conservation where they um, breed animals that have specific bloodlines. They know that there are specific subspecies. They try to keep genetic diversity to help the, um, the species you know, exist in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also, you know, in times past, it's been more and more to just introduce people to animals. Um, is that now needed as much as it used to be? I don't think so. No. Because um, it used to be people, you know, couldn't just travel to Africa because you'd have three weeks on a boat or something like that. And so they'd bring the animals to the people. Um, in this day and age with um, the video, instant technology and things mm-hmm. like that, I mean, you can see what's going in, on in Kruger National Park in Africa yeah. from the, the warmth and safety of your home. So I don't yeah. think the, the the situation of, you know, you have to introduce people to animals that way is is quite doesn't hold quite as much water as it used to. Um, it's still the other um, side of it is too is um, people seeing animals like that. It then motivates them to realize, wow, tigers. There's only 3,800 left in the world in mm-hmm. the wild. What can I do to help? So yeah. um, the way I had it explained best was about four years ago we had a zoo veterinarian here, and he had been a zoo vet for about 22 years, mm. but he was just amazed at what we did. I mean, we were building the jaguar habitat at the time. He took video of himself climbing on the jungle gym structure that Melanie just referred to. (laughs) And he was asked about the animals and his acknowledgement was, and it's, you know, it's not true for every single animal in a zoo. I'll just take the most absurd, not absurd, but the most um, extreme example, an earthworm. Is it difficult on an earthworm psyche and social life to be in a zoo? Probably not. But the more advanced of an animal you get that has social needs and, you know, mental stimulation needs and physical needs, um, like a a large carnivore, a tiger, lion, bear, primates for sure, 
um, mm-hmm. it becomes more and more difficult on them to be in a captive situation. Hey, what's up? It's Alex Morgan. And for me, the start of the new year is all about commitments, setting your intentions, restarting your routine, and committing to you from day one. Body Armor Light, the low-calorie, zero-sugar-added sports drink. Shop now at Walmart. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills, too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically, so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with the 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Uh, but the way he put it was he acknowledged that, yes, some of the animals in the zoo are taking one for the team. And, and I thought that was maybe a good way to put it. Um, it's an acknowledgement that the animals, you know, are maybe getting less than what they need or deserve or they would in the wild. But in the long run, is it helping the team, whatever species that happens to be? So um, that's kind of how I would look Aww. at zoos right now. Mm-hmm. But you kind of want to um, compare the two. One is a sanctuary, we exist not for public entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. We, a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, the sanctuary has been in existence since 1980, as we already mentioned. Mm-hmm. But for 22 years, we weren't even open to the public. Um, right. It wasn't until 2002. And at that point, Pat began to realize, boy, this problem of captive wildlife just isn't going away. He's trying to address it by speaking to civic organizations and schools and colleges, and, but you're talking to 10, 20, 40 people at a time. And so he knew that educating people and trying to change what people think about animals was going to be the solution. And so he, that's when he began to germinate the idea of being open to the public. But he also wasn't open to the public until he could find a way to do it without affecting the quality of the animals' lives. Mm-hmm. And that's where the finding finding that if you get above them, and it actually works to a certain degree below them, it's a vertical distance that you know, once you get out of a certain level of degrees out of their eyesight, they don't consider outside of that as territory. But he found, because um, he used to have to do work, um, that if he was up on the buildings, the animals completely ignored him, whereas if he was on the ground, they would either get excited or want to play or think he was going to feed them. So there was some kind of stimulation when he was at ground level. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of animals, it's you know, that flight, sin, um, that right. flight yeah. instinct. So once he found that you could get above them um, and not disturb them, as Lisa already mentioned, I always say it's like us with birds and airplanes. They fly over us all the time, but we don't mm. concern ourselves with territory up there. Um, once he found out we could have people out here without disturbing the animals, then it kind of brought two things together. One is we're not going to disturb the animals, but now we can educate more people. And, and that's, you know... So educating the people about the captive wildlife crisis is a big part of us. Um, We don't breed animals. Um, Our animals Mm -hmm. aren't allowed to reproduce, so we're not um, doing that. We don't let people have any kind of personal physical contact with them. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't program our feeding schedule so that people know at 3 o'clock every day the sea lions get fed. So there's Uh kind of a reduction in that quote-unquote entertainment aspect. Um, We also – oh, I just drew – I just drew mm-hmm. a blank as far as, you know, ground level viewing. We don't allow that. And we don't have cub encounters. Um, you know, some places, the worst roadside zoos, which is where so many of these animals come from, oh, they come yeah. from places where people pay mm-hmm. to play with cubs. Yeah. And 
boy, once we get started down that list, I can tell you all so many things oh about why that is God. so bad for the animals. The bears, that we had to smoke cigarettes. I remember the two oh. bears, they had, was it a Russian circus or something that they mm. were had to smoke? And, you know, there's that whole list of, of those things that happen. And so people also, I mean, look at South Africa with the, the lions being raised on these farms and, and mm-hmm. just they're inbred lions at the end of the day. And they're not happy and people think they're doing the right thing. They think, oh, I, you know, I'm volunteering and it's not a good volunteer operation. Not like what Mark and Melanie and you can't have done. Um, so I think what you guys are doing is really opening our eyes to an amazing thing. I, w- I wanted to go to Mark because Mark, you're a project manager, traveled the world, um, you know, an executive businessman. And when you look at this operation, um, where you know you were using the the altruistic word, I can't even pronounce that. I've never done that, Melanie. I can't. But for some, altruistic, I'll get it. I'll get there. Um, it's not even our Champagne Sunday show. I can't pronounce it. But um, there's a level of integrity which um, is hard to find a, a lot of times in companies and even some nonprofits, um, unfortunately. But there seems from our visit a level of integrity, and I think what's so beautifully captured in your book, uh, and everyone, again, it's called Forever Wild, Forever Home, the story of the wild animal sanctuary of Colorado. Go get it at wildanimalsanctuary.org. Plug, plug. Um, Mark, the integrity, sharing the story, I mean, there's so much work. I mean, to actually manage this operation, like going from your project manager eyes, of how big this is because there's also the refuge and there's also places in Texas. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on it? It's, it's, it's it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I have, I have to tell you, it's, it's beyond amazing. Um, For some of your listeners that are as old as I am, you will remember a book in search of excellence that was big back in the 1970s. And one of the one of the big things they talked about were companies that had a bias for action. I've never seen an organization that has a greater bias for action than the wild animal sanctuary. They get more done with less resource than I think anybody I've ever seen. Our governments could could take a lesson from them in terms of <laughs> res- how the, the proper Nancy, use don't of go resource. There. <laughs> but um, you know, it, when when you see them, what they've done with the refuge in just a little over three years, mm-hmm. it's just it's just amazing the the habitats they have there, and wh- what they're constantly doing at the sanctuary in Keensburg, rejiggering the, um, the some of the habitats as they get new animals and they want to put them in different places, um, and, and building the mile into the wild walkway. What an engineering feat. And to, yeah. to just decide we're going to do this and then build what turns out to be the longest, the Guinness Book of World Record longest footbridge in the world. And they do it and don't even think twice about it. And it turns yeah. out to be such a great thing, not just for the animals, but for the people. Because mm-hmm. when you're on that walkway, you can see hundreds of yards in any direction and you get so many more opportunities to see the animals than if you were at ground level. And it's cool, just beautiful scenery too, actually. And, and you said and, birds, black, you know, uh, red winged blackbirds, right? I remember Nancy, you and I, I've got like amazing bird photos. <laughs> and, and the animals that. aren't fat, like in the zoos, like I'll right. go back because I paint animals. I did 
wildlife paintings, and so I was painting animals that I photographed in zoos before I went to Africa because after a while I'm like, I don't think they really look like that because there are some really overweight lions and tigers in some of the zoos. And then when I finally did get the opportunity to go stay in Africa, then I could see the total difference. Then coming back here and going to the sanctuary, I'm like, that's as close as you're going to get. Seriously. Mm -hmm. As close as you're going to get to a natural landscape that the animals need for their health. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's also also amazing to see this time of year how the big cats like, like the snow. I mean, I, it never occurred to me that lions would take a liking to snow, and yet you see them out there playing in the snow. The tigers just love the snow. And even the occasional bear that comes out once in a while to see if it's spring yet. Um, mm. it's, it's just it's a wonderful time of year to be there, and uh, it's just an amazing place. Oh, I, did. I've, I want to see it in winter. I mean, we, we were lucky to be in the Kalahari Desert and see uh, a mm. cheetah and lion walk through the snow it's in the desert it. when we were wow. there. And we were like, what yeah. the heck is going on with then, this white stuff? Like, we that was saw, weird. We saw an ostrich walking down the coast in, in the water on the beach. We're like, it's, look at that. It's wild what you can see. But And I think Kim should really write about video now and even through COVID, um, this pandemic, I mean, what a what a project, Melanie, to go through. I mean, you start the book with that, too, about, you know, here's the COVID pandemic. What are you going to do? Write something, do something good. And I think, I hope a lot more people are doing with what you're, what, I, I know a lot of musicians and artists and writers that we know have done so much creative work over the pandemic. Um, but this has got to be one of those highlighted stories of positive uh, during what was, what's been literally hell around the world. You've, you've done something positive during the pandemic. Yes, thank you. Well, we started it before the pandemic ever got uh, going, and we're well mm-hmm. into it uh, over a year. But um, we originally had intended to get it published in, like, June of this year, June of 2021. Mm-hmm. And when we learned that the sanctuary was founded in 1980 and that 2020 would be the 40-year anniversary we pushed yeah. hard to get it out toward the end mm-hmm. of 2020. Um, you know, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic with us sequestered in our homes actually enabled us to get writing done that we might not have done otherwise. And I think mm-hmm. that's the case with a lot of people, you know, not only mm-hmm. writing books and, and, and composing music, but cleaning out closets and organizing photographs. I mean, it just, it just mm-hmm. it just unleashed a lot of uh, a lot of interesting activities um, mm-hmm. while we were in our homes. But you do a lot of interviews, uh, not just obviously during the pandemic, but you really interviewed so many people for this book about what was going on with the wildlife, uh, like fish mm-hmm. and game people, all kinds of experts. Um, it, I mean, it's like how, how many meetings do you think you had to to get the information you needed? Because that was, I don't know, really it was, got in there. It was a lot. And, and then, you know, that kind of brings up another point And that I guess we didn't even realize it at the time, Mark, but um, Pat and Kent have been so gracious in promoting the book. And in um, the last newsletter, the Sanctuary publishes a, a quarterly newsletter. And in the last newsletter, I think it was, Pat said that, um, that we were given unprecedented access 
to the sanctuary to staff uh, in writing the book. And I guess we didn't even realize it at the time, but we're just so grateful for all the, uh, the meetings that we had with Pat and the tours with Kent and the way we were able to shadow Becca, Becca Michelli, who's the um, mm. uh, animal science and welfare officer. Um, I, I mean, it was remarkable. But we wanted to do a lot of work also on the captive wildlife crisis. I mean, Mm -hmm. everybody Mm -hmm. knows about species going extinct and the endangered species problem um, and the problem with animal species disappearing in the wild. But people don't know about the 15 to 25,000 animals Mm -hmm. that are um, held captive. They're, you know, bred in Mm -hmm. captivity, they're born in captivity, and that's where they'll die. These aren't wild animals that were captured in Asia or Africa and brought over to the United States. Mm -hmm. They were born at tiger mills and Mm -hmm. lion mills. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we did a lot of work on that because we wanted to contextualize the the importance of the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. If there was no captive wildlife crisis, there wouldn't be a need for the sanctuary. Right. and so yeah. we really wanted to we wanted to do that. And with my um, academic research background, that's sort of my modus operandi anyway. And so I just kind of dug into it and got marked. She can into say it, those words I can't. Really, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, I was but laughing, but, but yeah, I mean, it's a book. You get in depth with it, but in a way of storytelling. I I, I think you just really did this balance that um, because people don't want to be if you don't do this, the world's going to end, climate change is this, and then, you know, if you don't do you know, there's this panic that people just will turn their heads. And this book allows you to have this beautiful story, some very sad stories, but this, yeah, you've really captured something, and I think that also goes hand-in-hand with how the sanctuary works. The sanctuaries, you know, it's like we've all done something wrong somewhere, right? And Mm -hmm. there's people that did have animals in captivity and mm-hmm. have turned, I mean, we've, we've had to learn even on our shows not to be like, you know, you over here, you suck. You never change. That's not true. <laughs> no, but we had That's to learn. And, and, and it's true. People do change and learn if it's there, but it has to be accessible. And I think the way the sanctuary's done this amazing accessibility without it hurting the animals, which is a huge part of learning to be there. I mean, just even the welcoming when you get there and they show the video on this large mm-hmm. screen explaining things is amazing. Yeah. You go, wow, okay, right. now I'm going to have to like start taking a good listen and how have I been? You know, it's like in a good way. Um, but your book too, your book aligns with it in this. That's when we talk about integrity. You really have that alignment in that you've got all the science and the statistics and all the what's going on in the world but you're balancing it with the stories that we can understand, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I really do we do we know where Hollywood stands now with using animals in films and um, pet ownership with Hollywood stars? Do we have any idea where we are on that front now? Any of um, you know? I I don't know for sure. Um, you know, CGI has helped wonderfully. <clears throat> you know, in the life of Pi, um, I think. Most of every scene was CGI on that tiger, but excuse me, was CGI. But I think there was one or two places where they actually used a tiger. And mm-hmm. I know some people, you know, refused to watch the movie because of that. And mm-hmm. you know, obviously that's a noble stand to take. Um, 
So I think 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. And this is kind of where Pat... Um, I think is wanting to operate. He wants to educate people. And the, mm-hmm. so eventually it gets to the point where if someone is, you know, raising tigers in a tiger mill and charging people to play with cubs, that mm-hmm. there's such a social stigma attached with that. And he always uses the example, I hate to say it because it's such a, a horrible um, subject to contemplate, it's like pedophilia. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone hears mm-hmm. about someone who is involved with pedophilia, the most you know, horrible reaction of disgust about what that person is doing um, mm-hmm. arises in most normal individuals. And he right. just wants, you know, eventually for people to get to the point where, you know, their their mind just kind of shuts down and says, why would you ever do that? And, right. to, you know, these animals, because of, you know, you're taking them from their mother at birth and they're being mm-hmm. denied everything that goes with having a mother nutritionally, socially, mm-hmm. psychologically, um, just fundamental to their being of needing a mother. Um, and for people to actually do that is bad enough, but then to charge other people to play with those cubs that were taken from that or to be the ones that go and do that. I mean, we get asked all the time, just earlier today, someone called and they were calling on behalf of someone. They were trying to set up, set up an event where they could have cub encounters. And, you know, the initial reaction is you kind of want to, you know, really yell at them and educate them. But I've over the years, as my position Mm -hmm. of director of public relations, I've kind of, I think, drafted a letter that just kind of explains, well, that's where most of our animals come from. Do you realize that after Mm -hmm. your 10 minutes of encounter with that animal, this is what the animal's life is going to look like? And, you know, two or three weeks or months prior to you encountering that cub, this is what its life looked like. And so that Mm -hmm. people actually start to realize, yeah, I may, everyone loves babies, baby animals especially. Everyone loves these most incredible animals on the planet. And, yeah, there's a certain part that says, oh, yeah, I'd love to play with a tiger cub. Mm -hmm. But when you think about what happens before and after, the price the animal has to pay for you to do that, hopefully it changes um, the mentality. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's kind of why the whole education component is important is to let people realize, you know, these animals have come from horrible situations and, you know, maybe in the past we even participated in them. And I think you can use the example of circuses. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Barnum and Bailey's Ringling Brothers was around for 140 years or whatever it was. And eventually just enough people didn't pay to do it because they began to think twice about the life of circus animals or whatever that, you know, initially Mm -hmm. they retired the elephants because people have come to learn how intelligent and socially um, sophisticated elephants are and how difficult it is to be in that kind of environment. So they retired their elephants in quotation marks, um, but then the whole place just closed down. And, mm-hmm. and eventually you reach a critical mass where, and that's what we're always you know, telling people is when it becomes financially a liability or that people aren't getting paid to do this. And this is where we go back to the whole Tiger King thing, which, um, I don't blame you for not watching it. We had to watch it because, you know, we rescued dozens and dozens mm-hmm. of tigers from that place. Yeah. Um, but it really has mm-hmm. raised the consciousness of people. A lot of people, I think, might not have been aware that 
you know, there's these tiger mill places mm-hmm. like in Oklahoma of all yeah. places. We always mm-hmm. think it's somewhere else. We think it's some, you know, kind of lack of a better word, unsophisticated third world country that does these things. But, you know, it's right here in our neighboring states and people are starting to mm-hmm. realize that. So um, mm-hmm. hopefully as this, you know, goes on, I can't remember what got me on this, but um, just this whole idea of education, um, the book that Mark and Melanie wrote, as you were awesome. talking about, very wonderfully weaves in the problem, mm-hmm. the the issues, why it is a problem, and how that ties into with what the sanctuary does on an everyday basis. Absolutely. You know, okay, Lisa, go ahead. we're going to run out of time here. So oh, okay. Okay. okay, sorry. Go ahead. So I was going to say, where was that tiger in that kind of railroad cart? Um, at a gas station? That's Louisiana, Tony the Tiger. Yeah, Tony the Tiger. Well, they used to, the, the SO stations used to have the tiger in the tank. Mm. And, Put a tiger and in a your lot tank. Of the, yeah. Yeah, and a lot uh. of the SO stations would actually have a live tiger in a cage sitting beside yeah. the gas pumps. Yeah, we saw that. And we're like, yeah. what? Really? Yeah, the one I that know. got a lot of press was Tony the Tiger. Yeah. There's a lot mm-hmm. of Tony the Tigers. And that was that Tiger truck stop down in Louisiana. Yeah, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. We went That's there. That's what we, we thought. I remember calling Adam. Adam Adam Roberts has been on our show for years and used to uh, run Born Free uh, USA. <laughs> and we called him before we went to Greeley and Weld County. And Greeley, Colorado, uh, Amy and Jen uh, from uh, Discover Weld. Everyone go to discoverweld.com, uh, Discover Weld, and also visit Greeley org because um, I mean this is how we got there and they're like talking about this sanctuary I go and I look at it I'm like this is all awesome and I call Adam Adam is this okay and Adam's like they are part of the global federation of the wildlife sanctuaries these are good people and Pat's a good for he's like they're they're the good people you can go because it is scary and that's the important yeah, you to, to showcase all the good sanctuaries because just because someone puts the word sanctuary on sanctuary on it does not mean it's a sanctuary so yeah. no really not important. at all and- yeah, people need to ask questions. Do yeah, they, are they charging for cub encounters? Um, ask mm-hmm. questions like, what happens to these animals? Do you, mm-hmm. do you let them breed? Um, you know, just some of those yeah. questions that will, you know, kind of, you know, ferret out the whether they're a good sanctuary or not. Yeah, I, it, for sure. Really, I mean, when you look at it, um, that's what you guys did so good in the book, too. The resources at the mm-hmm. back, the whole, you back to every part up. And yeah. I appreciate that this because awesome. it's really hard to explain sometimes you need that those facts and you need those numbers you need that here here's here's this and here's some references to go into and to get further into it i think your book is going melanie i think you got to be proud i mean this is awesome you i wonder how many young people are going to get a hold of this book and get into the world of wildlife conservation from this i mean did you think about that as you were writing it that this can get people to to on their life path we hope so I mean, because mm-hmm. one of the things that we were hoping is that um, not only does every book sell benefit the sanctuary from a monetary standpoint, but hopefully continues to build on the, their educational mis- mission of getting the public to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about the captive wildlife crisis, but we don't, we don't dwell on it. Some people have said, well, I don't know if I can read this because animal stories that are sad make me sad. And it's like, you have to know about this so mm-hmm. that we can stop it. But the book is 85% about the good stuff <laughs> and the happiness yeah. that the animals yeah. experience once they get to the sanctuary. 
And right. if you will you indulge me while I read just a few sentences? Absolutely, please do. Okay. So this is um, from a section in the book called The Magic of the Sanctuary. And it says, after suffering for most of their lives, these animals continuously astound with their ability to accept kindness, demonstrate resilience, muster a vast reservoir of inner strength, and reveal an indomitable will to live. Each has a story to tell about he, how he or she found sanctuary at the sanctuary a haven for rescued animals who are provided high quality and humane care and a safe home for the rest of their natural lives. It is a place Mm -hmm. above all where the animals come first and where they are treated with respect, dignity, and love. The wild animal sanctuary is often seen as the last hope for the animals who are rescued and brought here to their forever home. But those who visit, support, volunteer, and work here know that this is the place where hope begins. That's the perfect, perfect closing to our conversation. Mm-hmm. I know we've kept you guys over time. I was like, oh, my gosh. We're, we're, yeah. <laughs> I know. Here we are, 30 minutes it's in. It's a big right? subject. Uh, it's such a big subject. You guys are always welcome on our show. Please do join us again. Uh, let's talk more in depth about the animals at the sanctuary. The more we can do to uh, really stop what is going on in the world, because it's not stopping. Um because, I mean, eventually we're just going to need this big, big, big sanctuary, and it's already a big, big, big sanctuary, and the refuge. So um, that was beautifully, the beautiful closing. Thank you both, uh, Melanie and Mark, for writing the book. Uh, it really is beautiful. Again, everyone's called Forever Wild, Forever Home, the story of the wild animal sanctuary of Colorado. Again, by Melanie and Mark Schellenbarger, and you can go to wildanimalsanctuary.org to purchase it. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all of those places, hard copper copy ebook um but go to wildanimalsanctuary.org anyway because you want to go check out what they're doing um kent real quick because in in regards to covid um are you open for people to come to the sanctuary oh certainly um we had to close a few weeks last april but because of Mm -hmm. our immense size um, people can easily social distance and if you know they're passing people up on the walkway and in our buildings people just have to wear a mask um Mm -hmm. so we've actually um, you know, keep it, have had a pretty steady flow of visitors because I think people are tired of being cooped up and they're looking for things that they can actually do safely mm-hmm. outside without, you know, necessarily going way out in the woods or something. And um, people can come out here, and um, we're still open seven days a week, 9 a.m. to sunset. And um, winter is a great time, as Melanie said, to come out here. Um, we have lots of bald eagles that spend the winter with us, um, 30 oh, to 40 wow. of them typically. Um, they'll be mm-hmm. leaving here usually by late February, early March, heading back north wherever they nest. But um, you, bald eagles galore. The big cats love it. Um, you just don't see bears, but most of the other animals are quite visible. So, yeah, we're open. Mm. Cool. Awesome. We hope to see you in May. We're, we're yeah. going to be going back and forth across country um, from big trees and sequoias to dogs in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> so Collie's in the little poodle. So, you know, we're just we're doing the Pony Express Trail, actually, as well. Yeah. And so um, you guys are not too far from that. So we'll see you then. Thank you for joining us. We want to give our shout-out again to our friends over at Visit Greeley and Discover Weld. Um, go to their websites and uh, go to the area. It's beautiful. There's lots of things you can do social distance-wise. And thank you all for joining us. We're going to close with music from South Africa. Um, this is, I just feel like this is the perfect song to close with. It's called Freedom Has a Way. It's by our friend James Saunders. Uh, you can go cool. to jamessaundersmusician.com. Yeah, it's kind of perfect, isn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. But thank you all for joining us. And please don't be strangers. Thank you.
All right. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Take care. Uh-huh. Thank you. Bye. Here it is, everyone. Freedom has a way. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? 
You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.